0: Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1:30 Pacific, 4:30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody to this week's edition of The Brief, this is Daily Coast's weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitzis. I am here with Carrie Alveldt and today we're going to be talking about what is shaping up to be an exhaustingly jam-packed September. So in Congress, uh, we got well, Let me let me read the list of things that Congress is supposed to. Hold yeah.
1: on. Before you get, go into that, tease the second part of the show.
0: The second part of this. Well, the first part of the show, we're going to be talking about um, about Congress uh, and this list (laughs) that we have. And then we're going to be talking second half of the show. We're going to be talking to the nation's Ellie Mistal about the Texas abortion law, what we can do to fight it, what the Justice Department, I know they're looking for ways to fight it. So what is the future of that law? What we can expect uh, that to happen? Because this is the culmination of the cultural wars of the last generation and it's going to be fought this fall okay right yeah
1: (laughs) please proceed no i just know there's people out there who are like wtf on the abortion law what can we possibly do and we're going to have answers for that in the second half so now we have first we have answers on hopefully
0: yeah so I am Accent. off my script. <laughs> I had a script. Thank you, Carrie. So yeah. you know what? We will mix it up right here. Let's bring on Joan McCarter to talk about this first half of the show. Joan McCarter is a senior writer at Daily Coast. She is an expert on all things Congress and uh, and executive action. And Joan, you're you're shaping up to have a, uh, a very very busy September. So let me read this tweet by Sahil Kapoor. Uh, I believe he's Washington Post, right? About what is on, um, what's on tap on Capitol Hill this month. So we have government funding expires September 30th. We have a fight over the debt limit. There is a lapse in flood insurance and uh, surface transportation. There is the infrastructure deadline on September 27th in the House. There is a $3.5 trillion um, infrastructure bill that, that is now a big flashpoint between liberals and Joe Manchin, apparently. There is an abortion rights vote in response to the Texas law. There is the IDA aid, uh, Hurricane IDA. There's a uh, unemployment insurance extension. There's an eviction aid. There's a January 6th commission. Last I checked, there's about... 30 or 31 days in September. Joan, are we really going to see all this happen in the next month?
2: No. Absolutely. Not even three no. weeks. <laughs> no. Three weeks. <laughs> and, oh, right. Actually, I, I, I feel really bad about this for my coworkers. I'm not going to be that busy because I'm going on vacation next week.
0: No, no. So. Wait, oh, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. No one told, I, I mean, I have no managerial responsibilities. You did not
2: approve that. But I also
1: didn't approve it. I didn't approve it.
0: No, no. So. I'm still but going. seriously, like, uh, no. what are what are Democrats? I mean, what is the prognosis for all of this? How much can we really see? How much can we expect to actually happen this month, if any of it, given given the fifty fifty Senate?
2: There is going to be a, a decision on what to do about government funding. I don't think that anybody is going to have stomach for a government shutdown. So that's one thing that I think will get done. It won't be actual government funding. It'll be another continuing resolution, and they'll keep kicking that can down the road.
0: What is a continuing resolution for people who don't know?
2: A continuing resolution just says, okay, we're going to keep funding the government at the levels we agreed to in the previous appropriations for this specified period of time. So it'll be, you know, probably like Thanksgiving that they decide to kick down the road to. And then at Thanksgiving time, they'll decide, oh, well, we can deal with this by Christmas, because this is what they do (laughs) every year. They create these deadlines, these false deadlines, when everybody's wanting to go out of town, and that's when they say something has to expire and they have to work.
0: And yeah, is there that. any indication from Mitch McConnell uh, that they plan on holding this up, or is it already sort of
2: probably a... not on government funding? What Mitch McConnell is saying he's not going to help with at all is lifting the debt ceiling or suspending the debt ceiling.
0: Okay, can you explain what that means?
2: Kind of a really big deal. The debt limit is the amount of spending we Congress says we we can have in any given year. And we're about to hit that limit probably sometime in October. Janet Yellen has been trying to figure out ways to sort of shuffle money around so that we don't actually hit that ceiling.
0: And Treasury Secretary?
2: It actually, yes, thank you. It expired back in July. So that has to be done. Mitch McConnell says he's not going to help if he doesn't, if we actually do breach the debt limit ceiling, then we don't pay social security. We don't pay veterans benefits. We don't pay on our national debt to foreign countries. It's kind
0: of a big deal. Does that require 60 votes or 50?
1: Yeah,
2: it requires 60.
0: Okay. (laughs) So
1: do you think, do you think there's any chance? I mean, is McConnell dictating to his, uh, to his people? Or is there any chance that you peel off 10 Republicans on something like this? Because I have to tell you, this is this would be terrible, demo- terrible po- politics for the Democrats. But it wouldn't be good politics for the Republicans either to say that they, tor- you know, if all 50 Democrats voted for it and there weren't 10 reasonable enough Republicans to keep the, you know, the
2: is gonna nation make them look right. any worse. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> well,
2: 46 of them signed a letter saying we're not gonna do it this time. We're not gonna help you. That was trying to force Democrats to put it into their big reconciliation bill. Here's another thing that we're gonna have to talk about the three point five trillion reconciliation okay. bill. But set that aside for a second. By by putting it in that bill, then it only required fifty one votes. But for whatever reason
0: Okay, I was gonna
2: decided not to do it. I don't know the reason. I think it made perfect sense to put it in that and just get it done with and not have to worry about it.
0: He did. Didn't. Is there any theories as to why?
2: Um, one of the theories is it's slightly more complicated doing it that way. If you do it with 60 votes and a regular vote, then you can just suspend it. You don't actually have to attach a number to it. If you put it into the budget reconciliation, you have to attach a number. You have to say this number will be the ceiling. So that complicates it a little bit.
1: Can we let's just add a footnote here that this is political gamesmanship, particularly I mean, on both sides to some extent, but particularly on the Republican side. This used to not be a question, right? They used to just there was bipartisan agreement that you always just raise the debt limit um, up until about a decade ago, because if you didn't, it was going to be a disaster for the country. I mean, you, you, Joan has yeah. a very modest, understated way of saying <laughs> this would be a big deal. But, but yeah. just to be clear, this would be a huge effing deal if this if the debt limit weren't raised. So, for I the global wanna,
2: economy, not just right. for us, but for the whole global economy, because right. we're kind of you know, if we're not paying our debts. Our foreign debts, that's that's kind of a big deal. Yeah.
0: Um, Is there a reason why there's even a debt limit? Can they just, in reconciliation, say, you know what? We're going to eliminate it. There's no need for this. I don't know if they
2: could eliminate it in reconciliation. Well, they could. You can do almost anything in
0: reconciliation.
2: And here's a whole other conversation that we could or couldn't have, and that's the parliamentarian.
0: Uh, You know, we're going to set that one aside because it's already complicated. (laughs)
1: I love my job. I love my job. Oh, man. Okay, quick, Joan. How many acronyms can you can you spill out in, in a matter of 15 seconds? How many? Can you just FEMA, USDS? But like, I want to hear something. Just go with it. No. it. <laughs> all
0: right. So that's next segment. That's next all segment. All right. So $3.5 trillion. What are we calling this? The Infrastructure Plus? What's the name of this um, in shorthand? I know there's a stupid name for it.
2: It's Build Back Better, which is kind of the stupid name for it. That's what Democrats are running with, because that's what Biden has. It's it's the human infrastructure bill. And there really is essential, important stuff in it, from climate change to um, caregiving money to education money. It really is an essential bill full of really good stuff. Um, And hopefully including... Um, DREAMer, the the DREAM Act, a path to citizenship for the DACA recipients. Um, again, you know, setting aside the parliamentarian.
0: So we know we can
2: talk about that next time.
0: Yeah. So we know that there was a bit of a hiccup with that in the House, right? A, a, a 10 sort of supposedly moderate Democrats tried to hold it up. They were within the margin of the vote. Right and Pelosi made a deal with. Was there a deal made? How did Pelosi make that go away?
2: Pelosi says it's just a uh, a clarification. That was her word for it. That yes, we're going to have a vote on the other infrastructure bill, the hard infrastructure bill that Biden and Senate Republicans and Democrats agreed to. So this is that a bi- bill bipartisan bill. That's a
1: yeah. bipartisan hard one, infrastructure. one trillion dollar. Bill. Basically $1 trillion. Uh, 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 I mean, not new spending. Don't eight. get too technical.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> $950 900, okay. in new spending. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but by hard infrastructure, you mean things like roads and bridges and...
2: They added in water systems. They added in okay. internet. Um, they didn't add in enough for water systems. It doesn't replace every lead pipe in the country, as Biden promised he would do. Um, it does include uh, broadband and way too much when it comes to roads not enough electric vehicles not enough climate change stuff way too much in roads but it passed the senate passed it we don't have to worry about republicans filibustering that part Um, so that takes some of the power away from the sabotage squad as we've been calling it It was Greg Sargent's name for them the ten house democrats Um, it's a great name for
1: them it is a great name. I just want to say, just for people who haven't been paying close attention, Pelosi has packaged these together, and Senate Democrats have always said this, but Pelosi has yeah. essentially said that we're not going to have a, a, a vote on one without a vote on the other. Now, there's it's, you want it's to. It's not
2: uh, just Pelosi, Biden, Schumer. Yep. Everybody agreed on this months ago.
1: Right, they're and going to go on two
2: because right. we have the problem of okay, Republicans, we need to get them in the Senate, so we passed this bill. We have a three-vote margin in the House. We lose progressives if we don't spend the $3.5 trillion, if we don't pass that. So you have to run them both together on the same track in order to get either one passed.
1: Right. And that's and what you, the sabotage you,
2: squad was trying to blow up.
1: Right. Agreement. And who are you betting on here? Because the sabotage squad, right, these quote-unquote centrists, and I call them centrists partly, very specifically because they are not moderates. It's not an ideology. They just move to the center of where the caucus is, no matter where the caucus is. So they don't have an ideological no. sort of moderate bent, right? No. They just no. move to where the center is, so they can say they're centrist, right? They just uh, which I think, say yeah.
2: we can't spend this much money. That's basically right. what it their deficit, and, and they, they think- haven't
1: stipulated. They haven't stipulated what they don't want spent. No.
2: No, and that, that's, that would require ideology, right? That's also, ideology, right? Joe, Manchin. That's also yeah. Joe Manchin. and they Keisha think they're going to
0: win millions of votes by <laughs> over something nobody cares about or even understands. As we're having a hard time explaining this <laughs> in this show. All right, so the House has its sabotage squad. The Senate has its version of the sabotage squad. It's the usual two names that we always hear. It's uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. They're and starting to make
2: those who have been have been working with the sabotage squad. They've been helping set all of this up. Right.
0: So now they're complaining about the 3.5 trillion dollar bill. What does that mean for its for its um, prognosis?
2: I I back to Carrie's original question: Who's who am I betting on? I'm betting on Nancy Pelosi you Me almost say, always bet on Nancy Pelosi. I mean,
0: would that mean that, have that nothing passes? The
2: CARE now, if not for Nancy Pelosi, she got that done.
0: So does that mean nothing passes? Because without the 3.5 trillion, the rest of the infrastructure bill does not pass. So by betting on her, are we betting that you know We're
2: betting on both those passing?
0: Both of those passing.
2: That's what I'm betting on, and she's going for the full 3.5 trillion. Um, She reiterated that this morning. Carrie has a post on that now that's important, saying, you know, why? Why do we have to go below $3.5 What's the point? Give me reasons. They don't have reasons. So she's going to push that. Ways and Means is pushing their part of the bill, which is they've got the largest chunk of it. They are doing the markup on their part this week. So it's full steam ahead for House leadership.
0: What's the timeline For the $3.5 trillion bill to, I guess it has to hit um, a vote in the Senate.
2: For a vote in the Senate, that would be after the House goes. um, On reconciliation bills, the House always goes first. And that is supposedly September 27th. Okay. Thereabout. That's the deadline that the sabotage squad got Pelosi to put into the legislation that said, okay, we're ready to vote on this. This is when we're going to vote on it. They set that date as September 27th.
0: That can slip. I expect that I it, to
1: slip. There is a little wiggle room there, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Pelosi built that in. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, uh, you know, if you read Joe Manchin's statement against a $3.5 trillion dollar bill, if you read it carefully, he doesn't say he's opposed to it. He says something and I don't have it in front of me, but like, I need an explanation of how this doesn't increase inflation in all the government agencies, something, something like that. So yeah. it, was, it was couched in a way that said, I'm not a hard no. I'm going to leave a door open, but I need an explanation. Right. Um, have you been able to parse that exactly, or is it just gobbledygook?
2: It's gobbledygook. That's, that's what he does. He he never ever specifies precisely what it is that he needs. Um, so I think that they'll be able to satisfy that. What he's putting out there is a negotiating position saying, you know, I'm still out here. You still have to talk to me. You still have to deal with me. And, um, You know, I may come up with something specific that I want and you're going to have to answer to me, but for now, just know that I have problems.
1: If you want to, right, just know that I have problems, (laughs) which is a true statement, right? (laughs) I mean, we can't argue there. (laughs) You have problems, bud. No no trouble. So, um, but but I will say, we've been through this little circus before, right? Because on the American Rescue Plan, he said, oh, I've got to, you know, draw some blood here and get this negotiated down a little bit. And they basically ended up at the exact $1.9 trillion with, with some modifications, but it was damn well, close to what yeah to what he, and it's a
2: modification Biden we're seeing wanted. now shortening the federal um pandemic unemployment boost mm-hmm. which ended like right. yesterday that was negotiated down from october by mansion he's the one who said nope it can't go past september so well congratulations
1: Right. Yeah, Congratulations. I mean, I'm sure that the I'm sure that the people who are hurting in West Virginia are going to be really excited that you were able to get that. But he didn't yeah. he didn't decrease the spending of that bill for the most part. It was no. basically the same yeah. dollar amount. He just got something He inflicted pain.
2: He inflicted yeah. pain, which is you know almost worse. he, he not only ended the benefits sooner, he cut them by like 100 bucks a week. So um
0: yeah. So <laughs> so we, we've talked about the debt limit increase. We've talked ab- about the government funding is going to expire. That's probably going to just be a continuing resolution. Yep. They'll kick that can down the road. We don't know what's going to happen with a debt limit uh, yet. You said that's a big explosion. There's one or...
2: coming up, though, Ida. FEMA- All right. Okay, so
0: let's talk about I- that. Ida so this is a whole new rate. different funding. This is a whole new bill.
2: whole new bill. But in the past, they have used disaster funding as a way, as a sweetener for getting votes on the debt increase, the debt limit. So you could see those two things being linked up.
0: And you're talking about getting Louisiana, yeah. um, North Carolina. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a bunch of Republican senators in the path of Ida. Yeah, yeah. Although these people are you
1: I'm sure you've looked at that at the, that list of legislators. Does it get does it get us to 10 GOP legislators? Cuz if there's 54 who have already said we won't vote for this debt ceiling increase, right? 60 54. F- I thought you said 46, 54. 46. 46. Yeah. F- oh, 46. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. My bad. My, my bad. I, dyslexia. I, I have yeah, the same thing. No, that was me. So, so if there's 46, that means we have to get four other ones. And I'm just wondering if you've looked at the list of GOP legislators to, to see if those you are know, four that
2: have... We have to look at what other hurricanes might be coming. <laughs>
1: right. Actually, I, I'm still doing the math wrong. You would have to, yeah. if there's four who might, then you still have to get six. You still have to get six on top of that. Sorry. Right. right. I've really screwed it, this um... up. I apologize to everybody.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So we got we got that. That's that's just possible. Yeah, coming. Uh, what about the January sixth commission? What's the plan on that? Uh, it seemed from the outside, you know, it was announced a great fanfare. There's a couple of hearings, and then was it? Did it go quiet because of the August recess, or Largely. is this sort of the schedule we should be expecting?
2: This is sort of, they're going to be, I think, fairly quiet. I didn't expect them to have any hearings during recess, but they've been sending out a lot of subpoenas. They've been telling a lot of federal agencies, okay, you have to keep all of this information. You have to, you know, don't do anything with all of these emails. They have talked to telecoms companies about various House members' phone records. So they've been doing they've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to, to get stuff together. So I, I'm not worried about them being quiet right now
0: because they're behind the scenes putting it together. Yeah. They're doing an investigative part of an investigative committee. Yeah.
1: So yeah. The funny thing about behind the scenes is Republicans can't stop talking about it because mm-hmm. they are House Republicans are in a total panic about yep. this and about the dozen. Uh, GOP lawmakers who's who, you know, the committee's asked for the phone companies, the telecom companies to save their phone records in case they end up subpoenaing them. So, I mean, Gary,
0: <laughs> <Can, can laughs> tell it's, people what they're doing in res- how that panic is manifesting.
1: Oh God, it's just unbelievable. I mean, first of all, Kevin McCarthy can't, can't stop telling lies. He said last week, well, you know, if the if Republican telling, leader in the House. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The House, House minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, Republican, right? He, he said, well, if, if these phone companies, these telecom companies end up complying with this, that's going to be a violation of federal law. And everybody was like, uh, I think actually the law is, is that you comply with the subpoena. I think that's where the obligation is. You know, I mean, it's just like and so he's that's a threat, right? He was threatening if the GOP gets back in the majority next time, we're going to take it out on these telecom companies if they comply with a congressional subpoena, so, you know, I mean, they are they are in a super spin about this. And and, you know, and now McCarthy is saying that he claimed over the well, on Thursday of last week, he claimed that the FBI and the and two two Senate committees had concluded investigations that found that Trump had no involvement. OK, that, <laughs> that's just not true. We can't find there was some baseless report that was anonymous that no one says they have any idea where it came from so Mc- McCarthy is just lying up a storm to try and you know throw a wrench in things
0: so joan we have we have time for we have about another minute left with you. Is there anything else that you see Congress doing, working on this month that uh, people should pay attention to, or do we have enough already? Have we already talked <laughs> well, about enough things? And
2: then here's your segue into Allie's piece. Pelosi says she's going to bring the, I can't remember what it's called, the, the legislation that would codify the protections under Roe v. Wade. She says she's going to bring that as soon as they come back. They come back on September 20th. So that's something again that's going to kick over to the Senate, where we're going to have the filibuster fight. As and Joe Manchin is the
0: filibuster fight. And Joe Manchin's yeah. actually anti-abortion, so even right. if we had right. a no filibuster, there's probably not a lot of chance it would pass.
2: Probably not. Um, so you know, do we start putting pressure on Lisa Murkowski and uh, Susan Collins yeah. to help break that filibuster?
0: Yeah, great. And is great this point. what
2: we make Kirsten Cinema? Stand up on.
0: Ooh, so much, so much ahead in the uh, the next couple of months in Congress. Boy, we you know what, kidding. Joe's just
1: going to go on vacation. Yeah, to, right. You know, here, you my friend, margarita.
0: In Joe's defense, <laughs> politics has been nonstop, like tidal wave. In the last what five years, so I'm willing to cut Joan a a little bit of slack here. Joan McCarter is a senior political writer at Daily Coast. She is an expert in Congress, and she's going on vacation. Joan, (laughs) thank you so very much. You are
2: welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) So, Kara, we have Ellie ready to go. So let's bring him on. Elliot Mistal is a the uh, justice reporter. I think justice reporter. I should have written correspondent correspondent i didn't have my glasses on i couldn't i couldn't see for the nation he is a now a regular guest on our show because we love him so much and he's so knowledgeable and also entertaining and well, uh, so...
1: cropped. well cropped.
3: <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me Wish it was under so, be better circumstances.
0: Yeah, I you know I was writing the preview on Daily Coast for this segment, and I wrote like you know, I was talking about how fun you know you were, and I was like you know what maybe I shouldn't be using the word fun because the issue is dead serious. Texas has passed the nation's most restrictive law, and the Supreme Court using the shadow docket, which maybe we want to talk about so people understand what that means. But using the shadow docket, let that law stand for now. Can you explain to us exactly, not to us, but to the audience exactly what that means?
3: It means that Roe v. Wade is functionally dead. People need to understand what Roe actually stands for. And it's simply the proposition that before fetal viability, so that is before about 24 weeks of gestation, the government cannot restrict a woman's right to choose. Now, there's a different case, a 30 year old case called Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which significantly weakened Roe. A lot of people don't kind of wrestle and understand that. But Planned Parenthood means that the government can restrict abortions before fetal viability, 24 weeks, unless they place a, quote, unquote, undue burden on a woman's right to choose. And the conservative Supreme Courts have generally ruled that almost any burden um, on a woman's right to choose is not undue. What Texas does is straight up ban abortions after six weeks of pregnancy which is a lot earlier than 24 weeks um, six weeks many women don't even know that they're pregnant especially if they're not <clears throat> trying to get pregnant the doctors date pregnancy from the date of your last known period so a lot of women wouldn't even think that they could be pregnant until after four weeks so uh, for all of those reasons it's a functional ban on abortion long before fetal viability and the way that Texas uh, enforces this prohibition, this unconstitutional, if 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 a woman's right to choose is, is constitutional, if Roe v. Wade is constitutional, which it technically is, then Texas has instituted an unconstitutional pro, uh, prohibition on women's medical health care. Texas has gotten around this problem, this what some would call obvious problem, by... By outsourcing enforcement of its unconstitutional ban to private citizens that's where we get the civil lawsuit, the bounty hunters, any mm-hmm. civilian not don 't even have to live in Texas. so wherever you live, however far up the heritage foundation's backside. You reside. Um, you can sue a Texas abortion provider or aider or a better, which can include a receptionist, an Uber driver, what have you. Um, because that is a civil enforcement, uh, Republican lawyers argued that you couldn't sue the state of Texas for its own unconstitutional law. And shockingly, that is the proposition the Supreme Court agreed to. The, the Supreme Court agreed. Five to four, that if you let private citizens violate the Constitution, well, then that's just a get out of the Constitution free card, Um, which is a shocking maneuver, but not entirely unexpected, given that this court has been handpicked by anti-abortion activists, by the forced birth lobby um, for people who are against women's rights. These six justices were picked to do this, and five of them follow through on their mandate.
0: So there, there is some speculation that right now what they did is they allowed the law to stand while it is being litigated through the courts, and that there's still a chance that the Supreme Court, once it properly, you know, hears arguments and everything, there might be that fifth vote to invalidate that. Do you see any any hope
3: of that happening? There are two problems with that argument, right? First of all, again, how are you going to let an unconstitutional law stand for <laughs> 16 minutes, much less months and months and months while women are being denied their constitutional rights? That happens nowhere else, right? It's not like, oh, you're protected against illegal search and seizure unless private citizens take your stuff, in which case we're going to have three months along of you know court opinions while the private citizens can just keep the stuff they ganked from, right? That's not the so that's problem number one. Can I confiscate some guns while the Supreme Court litigates it? Right? Right. Let's go try that. Let's see how quickly Brett Kavanaugh and friends decide to stop that mess. Right. So right. and remember, this law isn't going to stay in Texas. Florida already processing, progressing on an attempt to pass a similar style of law, South Dakota, Missouri, most likely very soon. Arkansas, most likely very soon. So the the, not, the notion that like, oh, eventually the Supreme Court will get around to overruling Texas. That's an unsatisfying argument to me. But the bigger problem is that Supreme, the Supreme Court was already posed, poised to strike down Roe v. Wade based on an entirely different law. This Texas law is, is a cheeky attempt to get around Roe v. Wade. But Mississippi already has a direct challenge where they've asked in the brief of the Supreme Court to directly overturn Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court is due to hear that case sometime this year or early next year and most likely decide on that in June. Right? Mississippi has a 15-week abortion ban, which still, long before fetal viability, once again, no exception for rape or incest, and it's a complete ban. It's not an undue burden balancing test thing. It's just a straight-up ban after 15 weeks, and the lower courts struck that Mississippi law down because it was an unconstitutional violation of Roe v. Wade. The fact that the Supreme Court even wanted to hear that case— is an indication that it's going to overturn the lower courts and allow the Mississippi law to go through, which will be a functional revocation of Roe v. Wade. So even if you think that the Supreme Court might eventually get around to outlawing the Texas bounty system, which again is particularly ridiculous, The idea that the conservative justices want to overturn Roe is already baked into the system because they already had a case to do that this term. That's not fear mongering. That's not hyperbole. The case is called Dobbs v. Jackson, and it is going to be heard by the Supreme Court this term.
1: So Ellie you, you one of the things you first did after this Texas law went into effect where the you know basically the Supreme Court just blessed it by doing nothing right is you said okay what is going to be what are democrats going to do about this and you know the Biden administration the white house put out a statement and whatever and you said but what are they going to do and you had some ideas about what could be done. Um, and I just want to hear you talk about number one, whether or not you think there is anything you're seeing that's promising from the Biden administration, from the department of justice, which has, you know, started to say, Oh, we're urgent, urgently exploring all options, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, Have you seen anything promising from them? And
3: what is one of the solutions that you've come up with? All right, let's start with the administration's response, and then let's get nuts later. Number one, (laughs) it is is unacceptable for the administration to be caught flat-footed. This Texas law did not come out of the blue. They passed it in May. This Mississippi law did not come out of the blue. They passed it as soon as RBG died. And have been trying to get it in front of the court since then. The moment that RBG died, the moment that she passed away, Democrats must have known that these laws were coming. And for Biden only now to be like, oh, now we're looking at a whole of government response. No, no, no. You look at the whole of government response on your first day in office because you know it is one of the first things that Republicans are going to try to do, as they promised, And again, I am not making this up. I am not some crystal ball. I'm just reading what Republicans say they want to do and assuming they're not lying. So you can't only now be looking at a whole government response. You had to have that baked in. The Justice Department, they got a big headline over the long weekend with, Justice Department says it's going to protect women. It is one of the worst media headlines I've seen. And I've seen a lot of dumb stuff from mainstream corporate media the the justice department statement was that it was going to enforce the face law the face law basically um prohibits people from blocking access to abortion clinics and abortion providers number one that's something they should have been enforcing the entire time like w- w- you're just now going to enforce this law that's already on the books that stops people from accosting people as they try to get constitutionally protected protected services thanks merrick glad welcome to the party bro um, so that's number one. They already should have been enforcing that law. And number two, the face law does nothing to protect women or abortion providers who are being sued under this new Texas law. The, the, the vigilantes aren't threatening to bomb abortion clinics anymore because they don't have to. They're threatening to sue abortion clinics, and there's nothing in the face law that stops them from doing that. So Garland and the Justice Department are not protecting women uh, and pregnant people in Texas um, who want to access their constitutional rights. And the administration only now looking into how to stop Texas when Texas has been promising to do this since May is in a word, pathetic. So what can be done and there are things biden can do if he's willing to use the power at this office aggressively because of texas's particular quirk of this private civil action civil litigation being the only enforcement mechanism for this law well federal officials are generally protected from private civil lawsuits because of the doctrine of qualified immunity now I personally hate qualified immunity because that's usually the last thing you're going to hear before a cop shoots my black behind dead, right? Like, so I don't like qualified immunity as a concept. But since it's still here, if Biden through executive order empowered doctors to go down to Texas and provide constitutionally protected services, they would be protected via qualified immunity from private civil action. Your problem there is something called the Hyde Amendment. Now, what's the Hyde Amendment? The Hyde Amendment um, says that federal taxpayer dollars cannot be used to provide abortion services. First of all, this is a terrible amendment. We just we shouldn't have it. It's um, an amendment that's reauthorized in every budget. We could not reauthorize it in the next budget. That's an option, too. But assuming that, as usual, Democrats are going to be pathetic little people and refuse to do what is necessary, let's assume that the Hyde Amendment is still there. Well, one way to get around that is by not paying for the abortion services, making abortions free, which you could argue they could, should be already. Already, that could get around the Hyde Amendment. Free abortions from this truck in Texas—that could get around the Hyde Amendment. Now, people would say, "Oh no, no!" Any any doctor even involved, then make the doctors free. Have the doctors privately funded, right? That could also work. I know, I know that private funding of private public partnerships can get around state regulations because it's what Republicans do. It's what Republicans do with private prisons. It's how Republicans have funded wars. All right. So don't tell me that you can't have private funding to get around state regulation. I know that works because I saw them do it. So private funding of doctors and abortion services, sending federal um, federally employed doctors down to Texas to do the work, perhaps providing them with armed guards, because Texas is now also a permitless gun crazy toting state, they might need some protection. There are ways to get this done. Are they they are untested ways? They are they are they are ways that will trigger various other legal challenges? They are ways that an institutionalist might not think about. But are we are we concerned about protecting the institutions or are we concerned about protecting women? Because if we're concerned about protecting women's constitutional rights, then there are things that we can do. We don't have to just sit here and take it.
1: I just, you know, Lawrence Tribe has also been, he's a constitutional law scholar. He's also been floating ideas. He seems, he has different ideas than you, but he seems about as up in arms as you are over what's happening and the lack of response to it. And one of the ideas that he came up with was, using uh, law already on the books to prosecute so that DOJ could prosecute the Texas abortion law as a federal criminal civil rights violation. Right. Um, I think he was going to he was talking about using the Ku Klux Klan Act as one of the things. um, So I'm just wondering, what do you think about his idea of of the you know, the DOJ? He said, basically, it should be announced the announced position of Merrick Garland's DOJ that claims asserted by bounty hunters under the Texas statute will be regarded as unlawful attempts to deprive persons of their constitutional rights. Right. 100%. So what? Right. So do you think that's a viable option, too, is just to take a law that's already on the books and say, hey, you know, we're, this is this is vile in violation of this law. Because that they're not that's not the case with the FACE Act. Like you said, that's about the FACE Act is about, you know, threatening people, right? Threatening people, threatening use of force, obstructing their ability to like physically get to the. But what he's saying is, is that this is a, a federal criminal civil rights violation. 100%
3: agree with Professor Tribe. There are laws that we have on the books that make it a crime to under the color of law, which is what these private citizens would be doing, depriving people of their civil rights. There are a bunch of laws that we passed during the Reconstruction era to stop the Klan. And the fact that Texas has now aligned itself with the Klan, with the 1871 version of the Klan that was going around and trying to take away constitutional rights that were enshrined in the 13th and 14th Amendment, that the citizens – that the state government of Texas now wants to be more like those guys – means that we should be using the laws that we had on the books to stop those guys. So that's why the Klan's Act, Act the, the Civil Rights Act, Section 1983 uh, of the U.S. Code, like all of these should be in play. And I would love for Merrick Garland to announce exactly what Professor Tribe suggested. However, I still can't get Merrick Garland to announce that he's going to prosecute the people who were responsible for launching a coup against the government. I think that we have to consider the possibility that Merrick Garland is maybe not up for this job. There's maybe not up for doing the things that need to be done to protect our laws and constitution from the people who are trying to take it away from us. I think Merrick Garland might be more concerned with protecting the institutional repu- re- reputation of the Justice Department than protecting the people that he represents. And so, and, and so that's why I am not sure that Garland will do this thing that he should do. Um, and I kind of focus more on Biden because he's at least he's 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 electable He's an elected official. Right. Like I voted for that guy um, and he kind of he, I, I feel like it might be easier to put political pressure on Biden than it is on Garland. But absolutely, Garland should not be allowed, should not be allowed is not the right word. Garland should not be contented to sit there guard, jealously guarding the reputation of his own institution as opposed to going out and using the law to help people.
0: So Merrick Garland was was when when Joe Biden announced his ca- uh, his uh, cabinet. I think Merrick Garland was the one person everybody sort of like all progressives. You know, were like, oh, oh, oh crap! Like, uh, what's this about? And you know, for context, uh, Obama nominated him to the Supreme Court precisely because he thought he'd be able to get Republican votes. That he was acceptable to Republicans on any number of issues. So putting him at justice was was a curious decision. And I, I think it was the least celebrated one of his, of his nominees. So let me ask you the question you literally just answered, but I don't really quite understand it. You say that Garland will not uh, use his KKK law, anti-KKK law, to protect the institutional reputation of the Justice Department. Why would not a, enforcing a law on the books protect any sort of institutional credibility. Wouldn't that be the opposite? By not using the laws on the book that
3: undermines the Justice Department? For whatever reason, Merrick Garland seems to think that punishing wrongdoers is political. I I don't know why. But he seems to think that punishing wrongdoers, using the law to protect people, going out and getting the people responsible is political. He would rather... And you see this with a lot of prosecutors, I'm not going to lie. Like, you see this with a lot of prosecutors, but they would rather go after the low-level functionary than the actual kingpin, right? So it's easy for Merrick Garland to go after the guy with the horns and the capital with the, sh- the shaman guy. That's an easy mark for Merrick Garland, right? Going after Mo Brooks, going after Donald Trump Jr., going after the people who inspired QAnon shaman man, that's hard. That's political. That's going to get messy. And Merrick Garland has shown no stomach for that, not in his entire career, which is why people were, as you put it, lukewarm about his appointment. I was perhaps more than lukewarm, as were many African-American voices, quite frankly. Right. Cheryl Eiffel was not. Oh, I'm sorry. I have some construction going on. I'm sorry if you can hear it. Um, uh, Cheryl Eiffel, director of the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, was not, you know, out here tooting the horn for Merrick Garland. Uh, Al Sharpton was not out here tooting the horn for Merrick Garland. There were other candidates that had a better record on not just civil rights, but a better record on telling truth to power than Merrick Garland that some of us in the community wanted. And we were denied by Joe Biden, who, uh, as far as anybody can tell, just likes the man. I mean, they met when Obama nominated him for for the Supreme Court. Biden and Garland met and talked, and I don't know. They, I don't know if they had a beer or you know whatever, played pinochle together. But they liked each other, right? And so Biden felt comfortable with him and comfortable with his uh, judicial independence to restore order to the Justice Department. And that's where Biden was thinking. Biden was thinking when he was making thinking about his Justice Department. And this, I think, goes through. So much of where joe biden's head might be at he's always thinking of restoring order he's not thinking of punishing criminals, and those two things need not be in opposition but can be in opposition quite frankly can't like you know the the orderly build back normalcy that some people want is not exactly uh it's not a perfect circle with going out there and aggressively getting the people who have done this to our country and making it so they can't do it again. That's a harder, that's a harder needle to thread. And again, Garland has never shown any interest in threading it. He was, as I, you guys put it, the compromise candidate from the beginning.
1: I have to tell you there, there's nothing more lawless or disorderly than vigilante justice on abortion. Right. Having a bunch of private citizens decide how and when they're going to, you know, target certain people or whatever. I mean, that is just a fundamental breakdown in law. If they let it happen, it is a fundamental breakdown and it will be so disorderly. And you're a hair away from just the whole legal system disintegrating if that's what you're going go to allow to go into effect without, you know, raising a fist.
3: But this is where I come back to packing the court. I mean, the, I, I thought that the very first thing that Biden needed to do was make sure everybody had access to the vaccine, which he did. And then the very next thing that he did to do was to fix the Supreme Court. Because as I say, we can, we can really focus on this Texas law, and it's bad, and it's vigilante justice, and it's all the things. But the Supreme Court was going to do this already the Supreme Court was already poised to, to cancel Roe v. Wade. They're already, they've already done the work of gutting the Voting Rights Act. And I've said before, it is not an accident that the order of operations is this way. It's not an accident that last term they gutted the Voting Rights Act and this term they're going to gut abortion rights. Those two things had to happen in that order because abortion rights are broadly popular. And so if you let people vote on this issue, they will vote out the people who are anti-abortion. So the first thing you have to do is make sure that everybody can vote, which Republicans have already done. The Supreme Court is at the be- is the beating heart of most of our problems in this country, and the unwillingness of Biden and the Democrats with- writ large to wrestle with that, to answer that, is pathetic. This vote, this particular vote on letting the Texas law go forward, that was five to four. Who was the fifth vote? Oh, I don't know. Alleged attempted rapist Brett Kavanaugh was one of the five. I remember when he wasn't ever investigated by the FBI for the various crimes, not just sexual predation, perjury and gambling, where he was never investigated by the FBI because the FBI is directed by Chris Ray, who is Brett Kavanaugh's law school buddy. But nobody ever did anything with that. Nobody ever investigated Kavanaugh. Nobody ever investigated Chris Ray. Joe Biden kept Chris Ray because, again, all about order, not about doing justice. So he kept Brett Kavanaugh's buddy in charge of the FBI. So Brett Kavanaugh is just like, I don't know, we're just supposed to live with him for the rest of our lives. What about Amy Coney Barrett? They 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 appoint they rushed to appoint this woman who has been on the record um, against abortion rights. And on the record, it was kind of a religious, you know, a very hard. And, and, and remember,
0: McConnell changed the rules, right? It used to be, you know, when Merrick Garland and Obama, you know, were, you know, Obama put up Merrick Garland. It was, you know, we're not going to nominate anybody. We're not going to confirm anybody in the last year of a presidency before the election. And in here they did, you know, bear it within what, a couple of weeks before the I election? got Joe
3: Manchin and Chris Summer running around talking about the filibuster. We used to have the filibuster for the Supreme Court nominees, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett couldn't have gotten confirmed if we still had the filibuster, but no, it was okay for McConnell to take away the filibuster for Supreme court nominees, but Manchin and cinema still think that we have to protect the filibuster for everything else. Like the, the, there is a level of insanity in, 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 the, in the centrist wing of the democratic party. They refi- they have power and refuse to use it and wonder why they fail. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I, you, you've been sort of railing, especially on the court packing. And court packing, is, we're talking about expanding the size of the court. Just there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't. And in fact, it's actually Congress's job to to determine the size of the Supreme Court. They don't, and seven it's times been ex- already. And it's been done multiple times, and so expanding it would be well within the the rights enumerated in the Constitution. But the, it's the issue Joe Biden and the Democrats at large. It's a really issue. Just we're talking about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, and it's a question of you know over the next couple of cycles getting a Manchin and Cinema proof majority in the Senate. I mean, <laughs> even keeping the majority is going to be a challenge next year, but. Can anything actually happen without us having a functional majority? And functional, I mean a majority that will eliminate the filibuster and allow stuff to go by to be passed by 51 votes. Is that uh, is there any other way to do this other than winning Senate elections?
3: You know, guys, I used to think that. But I'm of the mind that Democrats will always say they need one more vote. If they had 51 votes, they said they couldn't do it without 52. If they had 60, they said they need 61. If they had 75, they find a reason to need 80. Because right now it's Joe Manchin and Chris Sinema, but if they were raptured, Chris Coons and Dianne Feinstein would rise to take their place. I mean, Democrats no. will always find a way, always find an excuse to not use the power the people have given to them. On court packing in particular, I don't think it's just Manchin and Cinema. I think it's Coons. I think it's Feinstein. I don't know who my friends are on court packing. I don't know if Dick Durbin's my friend on court packing, the current chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I certainly don't think Joe Biden's my friend on court packing because not only was Joe Biden the most lukewarm about court expansion of all of the primary candidates, he then announced this presidential commission on court packing and met managed to staff it with zero court packers. Like, there are people – I'm one – there are people out here in the ether, right, who have been kind of pro-court expansion, and he put none of those people on his precious little commission – filled it with law professors for the most part, and other people who have to argue in front of the Supreme Court. Well, let me tell you guys, if my job is arguing from, in front of the Supreme Court, am I really going to, on as a side hustle, be like, oh, by the way, Chief Justice John Robert should have one-nineteenth of his power? I'm sorry, Chief Justice, were you listening to me? I, really, I want my client to win this case, Chief Like. What are you doing? Like it's it's a it was commissioned, designed to suck the energy out of core expansion right at the beginning of his administration. Punk kicked the can down the road and staffed up with people who he knew would not take an aggressive stance on it because the their bread is buttered by appearing in front of the Supreme Court. It's. When you step back and look at the levels to which centrist Democrats will go to protect moderation and, and centrist institutions over justice, it, it becomes frustrating.
0: Is the future then, are, are we resigned to Roe v. Wade? Is this, Like you said, functionally has been overturned. <laughs> are we resigned to having a patchwork of laws across the states? Some of them, like California, will protect a right to choose. Some of them, like Texas, won't. Uh, unless it turns blue someday. Definitely the Arkansas and West Virginias, you're not, you're not going to see abortion legal in states like that. We're going to have some kind of underground railroad system where we're going to have to be shuttling women in need of medical care to states that aren't regressive American Taliban strongholds. Is that really the future that we're, we have to
3: look forward to? I'm not resigned to it exactly. That's not the word that I want to use, I guess. I always want to believe that there's still hope and that there's still an opportunity for the people to demand better from their government. But we are at a point where the people have to demand better from their government. There are there are some people on the left who think that this and again, abortion broadly popular. And there are some group of people on the left who think that this is going to backfire on Republicans. This is going to activate uh, people, especially women, to vote against Republicans. And I just caution, 50% plus one of white women voted for Donald Trump twice. Twice they did that, right? I think that there is a certain kind of white feminism that it's a, that's around in this country where about half of them are going to be like, well, I want the abortion to be legal, but it's still going to be legal for me because I'm still going to have the funds and the resources the to money, go to yeah. California or go to New York or go to Canada or whatever, or send my daughter to Canada or send my mistress to Canada, right? Like there there are people who are like that and will still vote for their tax cuts and outsource their rights as needed. I could be wrong. And this, this, this kind of brazen attack on women's rights could activate some republican aligned white women, but at the end of the day, if Republicans don't let people vote don't let people to vote, if Republicans do not and if Democrats do not empower minorities, people of color, women of color to vote their conscience if Democrats don't empower those constituencies to do that, then republican then the Republicans have won already.
0: Yeah, which gets us in a whole different conversation about voting rights yeah. and, and, <laughs> and the filibuster being used. Texas
3: passed SB1 today, yeah. right? So like last week they did SB8, which is the anti-abortion bill. Today, Texas passed SB1, which is their horrible voter restriction law.
1: I, I will say it's not just white women though, right? It's It's suburban women who could be the difference. And suburban women is a much bigger group than just white women, right? And suburban women... Defecting from Trump and many of them just basically at this point I think becoming Democrats now I'm not talking about white women who like you know are a little uh, you know might be a little bit more liberal on social issues but want to get their tax breaks right I, I I'm talking about you know fairly well to do group of women who are a broad rainbow of colors who will get out and vote and this could be a huge motivator for them uh, and and we in the in the upcoming election not only have to get those folks to the to the polls because that is where the congressional majorities will be decided right so we have to get the base we have to get those folks to the polls and then hopefully peel off somewhere some of these you know other folks who might you know normally be Yeah. And Republican Party weren't just so
3: effing crazy. But I'm just saying. Yeah, go ahead. You also have to give those women a real choice, right? I mean, I'm still in a party where the Democrats are afraid to say the word abortion. Agree. They'll go through an entire press conference about abortion (laughs) and not say the word abortion. Look, I I I, I do. I do think (laughs) that I do think that this is a
1: situation where 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 women who feel passionate about this could lead the way because if Democrats, there are some Democrats who are ready to pounce on this issue. I'll tell you one of them. Val Demings in Florida is ready to pounce on this issue and take it to Florida Senator Marco Rubio all the way into her Senate election in defeating him. So there are Democrats who are ready to pounce on this. And if they see, if they start to see real fire on this issue, there will be more Democrats who get an appetite for it.
0: Yeah, and I will leave you on one last point. We're talking about women, 51% of white women who voted. There is a ginormous universe of young women of all colors uh, that I think of them as a TikTok generation and TikTok's on fire on this issue. Um, So these are people that young people in general don't votes in then the same numbers as, as other age groups up, of course. So if this motivates a whole new generation of people to become politically active, that, that could be a silver lining, but it's also demoralizing that this battle even has to be fought. And that's a big challenge. We shouldn't have to be fighting for basic uh, rights and basic ability just to get healthcare. So
3: that's the you gotta challenge. you got to give them something to vote for. you got to give them this. You've got to give them guns. you got to give them climate I and mean, these are, the, you know, these are the things that, that, that are going to motivate young voters. It's not infrastructure. Like I own a house. It's got, there near flooded in the, in the last, you know, whatever, in the last storm. I care about infrastructure but i'm a homeowner if i was a younger person not owning this house i would care about climate change like that so it's not the infrastructure bill that's going to motivate me it's the climate change bill that's going to motivate me which is not being passed by congress It is not being taken up by the democrats like you have to give these people a real clear distinction of what the what the democratic party stands for and what it stands against
0: absolutely ellie mistel uh he is the uh, the justice correspondent – got it this time – justice correspondent for The Nation. You can catch him at thenation.com. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. Such a pleasure to
3: have you. Thanks for having me on this <laughs> important issue. Uh, Kerry,
0: he does such a good job of explaining incredibly complex, difficult legal issues and how they sort of intertwine and and, and uh, work together. Even this idea that attacking – the uh, a right to vote as a precursor to then taking on abortion actually is is, is an incredibly important point to make. This is not just willy nilly happenstance. Uh, there is an actual plan behind it all. Uh, and it's not conspiracy theory. This is, <laughs> it's, it's right there. We're seeing it happen in action. So it's a battle that, I mean, we're going to see this thing play out over the next couple of months. And I hope. If there's a silver lining, that it means that it activates a whole new generation of voters. That would be the only silver lining that I see in this fight.
1: Well, and it and it could it could motivate more people to the polls too. I mean, not and you're talking about younger folks. I'm just talking yeah. about I'm talking Period. about other yeah. folks too. Right. Because because Democrats did what they did in 2018. And I realize this is a different year and there's different circumstances. Right. But Democrats did what they did in 2018 because a bunch of people got to the polls who might normally not have voted in a midterm election. And they said, oh, my God, this is a disaster and we've got to do something about it. So, Definitely. you know, any anybody out there who wants to get behind this issue, anybody out there who wants to plan a rally or wants to show up at someone's, you know, I mean, really, look, let's make Republicans defend this idea of vigilante justice. That that if you, you know, go to your t- drive your, you know, a friend, right, to an abortion clinic, that somehow your neighbor can spy on you. This is you know spying. We're gonna spy on you, and then we're gonna report you, and we're gonna get a ten yeah. thousand dollar you know. So, anyway. okay, so Carrie,
0: we're we're out of time, but we should actually we should keep you talking about like we this have next an week. Ad
1: to go to you, let, you act like you know, if we don't get out of it right now, then we're gonna lose the advertising dollars, and I'm just gonna call bullshit on that right now because we don't market, we don't have ad dollars, we don't nothing. There's no nothing. There,
0: there is a whole conversation to be had around this, and I think that we should continue this conversation next week. What do you think?
1: Okay, I'm with
0: you. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not done talking about it. I'm really not done talking about it. I'm just looking at the clock. So, thank you so much to uh, our guests today. We had Joan McCarter. She is a senior writer at Daily Coast. We had Ellie Mistel. He is the justice correspondent at The Nation. Carrie, it's always so much fun and, and such a pleasure to be working with you on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and being a uh, a sister in arms uh, thank you to Walter Einenkau, uh, Einenkau for, for producing the show and thank you the listener and the viewer for joining us every Tuesday for this show truly appreciate you you can catch more of us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. see you next week Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.